As many of you know, Archbishop Desmond Tutu passed away on the 26th of December of this year, at the age of 90. A titan in the world for social justice and his anti-apartheid stance. What people don't know about us as an Esau family is that we shared a very close bond with the Tutus. My father, being his personal assistant from 1986 to 1989, probably at a time when South Africa was at its most turbulent. These were the last few years of apartheid and the nationalist government did everything they could to keep power. Archbishop Tutu was not only a man of faith, but he was also a family man with incredible wit and humor, but at the same time he was also very sensitive to what was going on around him. My father Matthew once said of him, he laughs almost as easily as he cries. That was the Archbishop in a nutshell. A man who was unafraid to take on President Reagan and Margaret Thatcher and many more. He continued to remind us of how the Bible's teachings did not reflect how we should treat one another in the world, nor should we tolerate being treated as second-class citizens. He preached his rainbow people of God's dance for many years, and as he went on to step, step away from his role as Archbishop, he continued to fight for the oppressed and was still unflinching in the way he took on governments and presidents at all. This podcast is with my father, the Reverend Matthew Esau, who is one person who is overqualified to talk about the arch, a man who left an, immeasur an immeasurable impression on, on us as a family and a bond that kept these men together until Boxing Day. That bond, as you will hear now, will never be broken. I thank you for taking the time to hear me take my father down memory lane. It's always fascinating hearing, hearing these stories and I will do my best to keep the memory of the arch alive and do my part to help carry the mantle. We can all act like Tutu, but there is only one. I will never forget our talk in London in 2012, nor growing up around you. Your presence and your love. We will miss you. Ah. Uh, <laughs> it's recording. Got it? It's recording, so you are on now. Um, I, I'm, some, some episodes are, are interesting to record with people, but none, none get closer to being able to record with your father. Um, because he knows you better than anybody else, and he can remind you of all the bullshit you've done before, which is, which is great and scary at the same time. Um, but I'm, I'm incredibly uh, grateful to my father for taking up the time to chat to us today because the world lost an icon. And if there's anybody who's qualified to, to talk about this person, it's really my father, uh, the Reverend Matt Esau. Are you, are you right? You know, are we leaving you at Reverend these days? Because, you know, you've got a lot of things beneath your name. Yes, uh, please do. Oh, um, and uh, you, you know, that's the title that comes with our ordination, and um, uh, it's an incredible burden. So I, I can uh, see we don't need any other titles to add to that. The it's weight weighed on you. Heavier. Forty years is weighed on you. So you know, it's it's yes, sir. You know. Um, but um, uh, Archbishop Emeritus uh, Desmond Mpilo Tutu died on Boxing Day in Cape Town. 
and um, he's a he's a man who's very close to our uh, family. Um, I I always used to say he's he's like a like a grandfather to me, um, and uh, you know I I was fortunate to to have known the man and and spent lots of time well not lots but enough time in his presence to know that he was a very special person, but you spent arguably more considerably more time with him in different countries and um you know going through the end the end of apartheid and all of that um you so i so so backstory is i was born in Bintuk, namibia in 1986 <clears throat> and you were then you were working for bishop kaluma at the time i believe in 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 Bintuk, is that correct for the diocese of namibia yes and so I, I'm, I'm, I couldn't have lived there longer than six months and you were asked to move back to Cape Town. What was... Well, you were born in May of 86. Correct. And um, in, in, oh, where are we now? Round about September or so of, no, no, it couldn't have been in September. It must have been just soon, uh, May, maybe even before you were born, there was uh, in April, um, there was an elective assembly uh, in Cape Town uh, for an archbishop. The Diocese of Cape Town always elects the archbishop of the province of Southern Africa, uh, as it is known. And um, I was a provincial lay representative mm. at that election. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, so I, I was quite involved in, uh, in, in the lobby group that was supporting the election of Archbishop Tutu or then Bishop Tutu. And um, I had gone to the elective assembly, which took place uh, in the chapel at the uh, Assassin College Bishops, your old school. Um, tell, tell the world, what was it? My old school. I, I, I can't hear. No, I said, tell the world it was my old school. So that you could, it's, it yeah, well, I mean, it's not much. It's, it's like parents, you know, schools, you can't do much about. <laughs> um, um, so it, it was, uh, he was then elected, of course. Uh, and then almost immediately, uh, I started playing a little role. We helped with uh, getting the election press conference up and running because, you know, this we knew this was going to be big. Uh, and then I returned to Namibia, mm. uh, I, I guess for the birth of my son. Um, and then... I uh, had to go back to South Africa uh, for a meeting that was with him. And he then asked if I would come to 
Cape Town uh, to join his staff. That was a very difficult decision because uh, there was nothing wrong with my work in, in Namibia. I loved it. I enjoyed working with the people I was working with at the time. And of course, we just had a, a newborn child who now is interviewing me. And um, we uh, reluctantly, I agreed after speaking to uh, Bishop Kaluma at the time. And uh, so I uh, then uh, came to the enthronement of Archbishop Tutu. Uh, I think we all did. I don't know how we managed, uh, but we all did. You, you, you didn't attend any of those things because uh, I think your mom, we managed to do something with you guys uh, and your mom could fit some, some of it in. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, and, and, and then we finished in, in Namibia at the end of uh, 86, um, uh, came down round about the beginning of December. Mm. And uh, I had to arrange the, my first trip uh, for Desmond Tutu. Um, that Christmas, and I, I remember that um, um, excuse me, uh, I, I remember that I had called uh, the organizer in Ballarat in, in Australia, where the Archbishop was going. Um, just before we went yeah. to Midnight Mass oh, wow. in Cape Town. Okay. Uh, and of course the man said, oh, we, we had our Midnight Mass a number of hours ago <laughs> because of, of the time difference. Uh, but that's that's where it all started. But prior, and, so uh, so prior to him asking you to join his staff, had you met him before? Had you had any kind of rapport with him, um, or had he? Yes, uh, yes, yes. How had he come to uh, know about you? Is basically. Yes, I I met him ironically. Okay. When I was um, schooling in. Um, in the UK, I was at West Hill College in Birmingham. And, you know, like all of us uh, South Africans do, uh, we would bang school in order to go to London. Uh, and if anyone asked us, why, why did you have to go to London? We would say, because. It's London. Um, we don't have You that. work it out for yourself. We don't and, have and it. <laughs> as I was walking around the streets, uh, I, I forget the square now, um, there I saw 
this little man, mm. um, obviously dressed up as a priest, mm. uh, walking very merrily through the, the streets. I, I didn't stop to talk to him. Mm. Um, but that sort of was our, our first meeting. And then, um, you know, before the 1986 election, okay. uh, around about five or so years before that, um, he was also a candidate okay. um, for Archbishop. And we, we didn't elect them. We made history okay. uh, at that time because the Diocese of Cape Town decided that if we couldn't have the candidate, the person that we wanted, uh, we would leave it to the bishops to decide. Okay. Uh, that had never happened wow. in, a, in an election for an archbishop. Um, so just before that, uh, in 1983, mm. I then got involved with the South African Council of Churches and he was the general secretary. Oh wow! Okay. Well, and and, yeah. and uh, we we then at, uh, I think it was August of eighty three. Um, there was a World Council of Churches assembly. I think it was the sixth assembly. Um, and he didn't have a passport to go. Okay. Um, I was part of three or four people, uh, maybe more, who were going to go as youth consultants uh, to, to the assembly. So we had a, an official capacity. He then asked me, uh, asked me to come to his office and then uh, said, now you're going off. I want you to represent me. Um, after the assembly and go to this church in the United States um, and thank those people for what they're doing. Uh, they've invited me to preach. I can't, and so you will do it. Okay. And I said to him, I couldn't possibly go and do that. I can't stand in for you. Yes, you can. <laughs> and yes, you will. Uh, so I said to him, I think, well, I'm going to pray like anything that the South Africans give you a passport so that you could come to Vancouver. And uh, well, we went to Vancouver. It was, it was a wonderful assembly. We, we met with the uh, Archbishop of Canterbury Terry Waite at the time. Uh, it, it was just extraordinary time. Wow. And then yeah. we heard, I think the last weekend, round about the 6th of August, and I remember that because it was the feast day of the Transfiguration when he arrived. Right. Um, and the Transfiguration became his hobby horse almost he wrote he wrote a book about it uh, one of the books i just showed you mm. and um 
we got the news that he was arriving quite late that evening. Um, and when Slindungani, who later became Archbishop, he was also in Vancouver, as was uh, then Archbishop Russell. Mm. Um, and so between Winston and I, and Terry Waite, I think, and there was a, 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 another gentleman, we called him, from the US, who was the assistant to the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church in, in New York, uh, we started now saying, now, how are we going to let the press know that Tutu was arriving that evening at the, at the airport because there were sessions running of the assembly? Right. The evening session would be going, and, you know, oh, it's a busy, busy thing. Um, and the advice that we got was that we should not even mention it to the organizers. We tried to get a word in with the general secretary just to, to warn him that, you know, the uh, archbishop would be coming. And he, in fact, said to us, please don't tell the press. Were they, not, so, were, were they not giving him a passport because of because of a, the apartheid government, or were they just being idiots, really? Yes, it, it's apartheid. All right. It was All apartheid, right. and, and uh, he, he was a thorn in the flesh. Uh, and they knew, um, like he was doing in the country, right. he was talking about them, criticizing them, talking to them, all that kind of stuff. Whatever you did in the country, you did outside. It, it wasn't any different. <laughs> it wasn't gonna they make tried to make it. out right. Right. that he had more uh, power. You know, when he goes that. overseas, he's more horrible to them. And he, he, I mean, they were so stupid. <laughs> so that's why he didn't get uh, a passport. Because it's because Anyway, time, as I say, he eventually got it. And I think it gave him two weeks or something right. out of the country. Right. Um, but just to complete the story, sorry, what then yeah. happened? Uh, what then happened? We were very mischievous. We whispered it to about two or three Definitely. press people. Right. And then sat back. <laughs> and then that evening at about Ooh, I think six or seven o'clock. Uh, we we saw cameramen dismantling their cameras quite quietly. The sessions are going on. The only people who didn't do it were the people who were doing the official recordings right. of the sessions. Right. But all the world's press started packing up. Of course, by then we had arranged with the airport authorities to uh, allow the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, the Archbishop of Cape Town, Terry Waite, myself, Winston Dungani, uh, 
And I think we managed to get the general secretary to come as well, to come to the airport to meet him. Uh, when we got to the airport, guess who welcomed us? The press. Uh, and, 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 and that, I, I want to say that history, but because it was um, the Feast of the Transfiguration, mm. there was going to be a midnight or something vigil okay. uh, arranged by the youth for, for uh, the Feast of the Transfiguration. Mm. And of course, talking about the bombings of Hiroshima and yeah. Nagasaki, and all that kind of stuff. So his first, I was assigned um, to, to be his PA uh, and work his diary and deal with the press and so on. Um, and to tell him what his uh, program would be outside of attending whichever sessions he wanted to attend. So I had to say to him his first assignment uh, might be to want to go to the vigil, which mm -hmm. was happening at midnight, but take into account that he had traveled over life, uh, probably didn't sleep too well. Mm. It was entirely up to him. And uh, I remember him saying, no, I'll go. Oh. And, and of course, that was the second storm that, that hit the assembly because the one was the fact that yeah, you know, right. all these people came to meet him at the airport. Second one is that there he appears uh, at the vigil and is invited to come on, on the platform and talk to them. So, yeah, I mean, that in itself is a, is a chapter sure. in, in the book. Um, so I've, I've known him ever since. Right, so you're talking 1983, somewhere around there, right? That was 1983 when I started working. Right, and and then at that point he's also won the Nobel Peace Prize, so he's 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 big deal. Well, in 1984, right, he won the Peace Prize. Right, right, okay. Therein lies another story. Uh, I mean, I I was obviously uh, in in where was I then? In in Namibia. Yeah, we're working in Namibia. Hmm. Remember, I went to the World Council. I'm quite no, no, that's quite right. I went to to the World Council as a uh, youth consultant. Yeah. Um. But um, lay yes, and and then. Um, I'm, I'm lost, losing my, my train. Um, in 84, he, when he, when he, wins the... he then took sabbatical. I see, okay. Uh, from his job at, at Bishop of Thingy. At it, it, also, it also coincided with him being made the dean of, of Johannesburg. Okay. I think. I think he was the bishop of Johannesburg by then. No, um, no, no, sure? no. No, he was he was never the bishop of Johannesburg. 
Sorry, he was the bishop of Lesotho. Then I think he 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 was the dean of uh, of the. I can get Chanesburg. it. Yeah, that was in eighty something when he when he wrote that letter to um, to Foster, Foster at the time. Mm. Well, you can check the the dates if you want to. Yeah, I'm. Uh, then he became the bishop of Lesotho. I think, like you know, within a year. It's and yeah, then, it's, mm, the, and the, the time, and then, the, the timeline. As I say, I get the sequence pretty messed up. But right, the timeline th that then, uh, the interwebs is giving us is Bishop of Johannesburg, eighty-five, eighty-six, Archbishop of Cape Town, eighty-six to ninety-six. Of course, um, there's a piece missing here. General Council Council of Churches, nineteen seventy-eight to nineteen eighty-five. So in between there. Dean of Johannesburg and Bishop of Lesotho, 1975 to 1978. I think they, that yep. that's off. I yep. think it's up yes. to 84. Well, you're, you're quite right. I, I've forgotten. He did become the Bishop of Johannesburg because while he was Bishop of Johannesburg, mm. uh, he invited me to come and be their diocesan secretary. Okay. Uh, and that one I refused. Because I was in Namibia, right? Uh, we did go. We did go for the interviews and all that kind of stuff. And he said to me, uh, "I'm going to appoint you." Uh, and I said, "Let let me let me think about this." And I I refused that because I was part of the group who was now we had our eye on Cape Town. Mm. We knew that uh, Philip Russell was about to to retire right and he was going to be our candidate right so i could not work out in my head mm. uh that i i go to johannesburg i'm hardly in johannesburg and then possibly go to cape town, cape town right. as as has happened and also i thought it was unfair on namibia because i just that right Anyway, so you you that that sequence is right, and so then he got the the peace prize, uh, which is a it was a crazy time. It was a crazy time because um, the demographic of the country at the time is also like it's it's for like excuse my my crassness, but it's it's fucking just speak up a bit. I'm saying the 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 situation of the country at the time pardon my language is pretty shit it's it's not great no this it seems like there's no end in sight as to you know apartheid seemingly slowing down it just seemed like the truck was just getting bigger and bigger you know and and the violence was getting well worse. yeah you know it's very hard to just try to people who were born uh say after 80 Let's say after 85, because mm. you were born, like you were born in 86, you know. Uh, so your formative years was, yes, in, in, a, in apartheid, but, you know, uh, why should kids have to deal with it? Suffice it to say that we, we 
we had it rough. Mm. Apartheid was rough. Mm. Uh, and how do you describe it? Uh, is, is maybe to say uh, when we had to go to school, we couldn't go to a school of our choice. Mm -hmm. um, we had to uh, take classes uh, in Afrikaans as the first language. Um, it was the church, in fact, who held out against that, that kind of stuff, the Anglican mm. church particularly, mm. because they insisted that in their schools, um, you, you know, the learners would, would, would be trained, would be taught in, uh, in English because that was the international language, was their, uh, was their thing. But just the living conditions, just where we had to live, just right. the kind of jobs our parents had. I mean, I say proudly that my father was first a fisherman. Okay. Uh, then he went to the war. And uh, I don't know where they mucked about, but uh, then they came back and he was a street sweeper. Right. He was a street sweeper until 1986, 1987. No, I'm sorry, 1968, 67. Um, retired at the age of 60 and then got a job as a school uh, caretaker. Okay. At Salt River High School in Cape Town. The reason how he got the job is a story on its own. Such a fascinating story. Sure. But be that as it may, we'll talk about that another time. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not even sure if he lasted six months in the job. Okay. Uh, and then one morning, um, I had now started work. Uh, I don't know how old I was, 16 or something. Um, and they came to the place where I was working to say, that uh, I had to come with, I can't even remember who it was, I had to come with them because my father is in the hospital, Kritzke mm -hmm. Hospital. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said to them, no, my father's died. So he, he, he died then in, in 68, I forget the exact month. So apartheid, was rough. If it was rough for us who they tried to classify as colored, um, it was worse for people who were known as Bantus. Later on, they were nice and called people African and all that kind of stuff. So to, to describe all that, but, but for Desmond Tutu, it was rough. It was rough. I mean, when when he was starting out, uh, first as a school teacher and then as a young priest and so on, it was rough. He he actually, I picked up a, an interview. I was looking. I, I tried to prepare for these things, you know, contrary to popular belief. 
that I just, you know, talked out of the womb. And I, I picked up a, uh, an interview he did on Al Jazeera in 2012. Yeah. And Sorry, William, I'm trying to see where I can turn up the volume. Okay. Um, it, and it could also be me. Um, give it a bit more sound. How's that? Okay, go ahead. And I picked up this um, this um, this interview, and he he started talking about uh, Trevor Huddleston, his yes. um, his mentor, and how Trevor Huddleston, who who worked in the township that that he lived in, uh, walked past his mother. Now, look, explaining to somebody. Who, who who has no idea of of the of what apartheid was or is, and uh, looking at modern day what modern day Israel is isn't you know that issue with Israel and Palestine and looking at that and that separation, you can't it, it just doesn't even work to explain what apartheid was because I didn't even live through it you know Nigel my brother. He explains, you know, he remembers stuff. He he, he remembers things. Yeah. And uh, Trevor Hiddleston, uh, uh, as the Archbishop tells the tale, uh, walks past uh, his mother, Mrs. Tutu, his mom, and uh, tips his tips his hat to her and greets her. And in that time, it was so like, and that wasn't really, you know, I guess that wasn't even apartheid. Then he was seven years old, apartheid is 48. But even in that time, there's still this, this superiority thing of, of races. It was there. Yeah. It, but, you, but you see, um, sorry to cut you, the, mm. the, why it's difficult to explain um, the the physical uh, part of, of, of apartheid, meaning what towns look like, what cities look like, and so on. It's very difficult. Mm. It's, it's actually not that difficult because this, the cities of South Africa now, mm. 30 years after our independence, mm. um, is is more run down than it was then than it was dead in apartheid. That's crazy. That's so bad. it was it was normal uh, in in those years that you would uh, you would go to town and and town would be a lovely big free looking place with people walking up and down and shops and all that kind of stuff. It's when you're a black person and you try to go into certain shops. That's where the problem comes. That you would be stopped. And so it was a common thing to see uh, African women, mm. uh, like the mother of, of Tutu, mm. um, a bus, they come into town or the neighborhoods, these beautiful neighborhoods, still the same today, 
Mm-hmm. Nice parts, they call it, the suburbs. Mm-hmm. And um, these women would go and work in those homes mm-hmm. for the white folk. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would care for their children. The very children who, when they grow up, who would treat their nannies like dirt. Right, right. If they knew why, they, they would say, we don't know, but that's what we were told to do. Right. So they just bought into the privileges that apartheid afforded them. Right. Uh, but yes, I mean, that, that was a long time ago. Sure. I mean, in Desmond, Tutu's case probably about 85 years ago, right. uh, 80 years ago, because remember, he lived a long life. Oh, yeah. He lived to 90 years old, as, as Mrs. Tutu uh, Leia said to me when I went to see her on uh, Sunday, <laughs> Sunday morning. Mm. Um, she said, um, I never thought he would make 90, you know, Matt. Wow. But now he has, and I'm relieved. And I thank God for the good times we had. Right. And thank you for the good times that we had. Right. So my thing in talking about Desmond Tutu is all about what we take of the absolute uh, precious gifts that we got of having just been able to, as he would say, rub shoulders with him. Right. Uh, Or he used to, to, on our trips, he used to say, ha, so today, we're going to rub shoulders with the high and mighty. Um, and so, and and so we behave like eh? them. <laughs> so we behave like them. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we're different when we come home. <laughs> but, you, you know, for me, is, as I said, there are too many books that's written. Right. There are now, I notice, on Facebook and on the internet, so many, many, many hundreds of people, thousands of people, uh, thinking of the world's population, probably millions of people, all who have had a slice of the pie. No, they couldn't have had a slice of the pie, but they had a crumb of the pie. And that crumb they have cherished. Right. I think what needs to happen now mm. is, as, as Grasha Michelle uh, challenged us, mm. is what happens next week right. when right. is laid to rest and it dawns on us that there's no one we can go to now and say, Please, even if you are weak, when you are strong, say something. Mm. Who's going to do that? Who's going to fill that? And mm. I think uh, we, we would 
we would really not do him service if we didn't go back to how, and I was reading this this morning, actually, how, what drove him yeah. all those years. Yeah. And as he says in one, one of the books I, I was reading, mm. uh, I think it's in uh, God is Not a Christian, uh, which he co-authors with, with John Allen. Mm. He, he speaks about what what drove him mm. uh, to do what he did and and uh, speaks about his faith um it's, it's and so i think that there are far too many maybe rightly so people who view him now as this political icon, um, uh, this this social justice activist, all that kind of stuff. But he himself said, I am a Christian. Mm. And as a Christian, mm. I have been doing what I've been doing. Uh, and I think he had the last say when he said how he wanted to be buried, what his funeral should look like. Okay. Uh, he, he, he said that he did not want any state uh, involvement. Okay. Um, he didn't want the army to go marching around and all that kind of stuff. Um, but he wanted the church to to bury him. It's got to be simple. It's got to have a simple uh, pine coffin and he must be cremated and buried and interned, his ashes interned in um, uh, in St. Joseph's Cathedral in Cape Town. Just bringing back, in a sense, from his birth Desmond yeah. Tutu, at his enthronement charge, started the speech saying, in the beginning, God. In the end, God. Mm. And, he, and he gave this wonderful charge uh, to, to the church and to the world. Um, and from what I hear, uh, how he passed on Christmas Day was exactly that. He even tried to resist the anointing of the sick because erroneously what we do is that we, we don't want to say that we anointing the person for, for death or dying. Mm -hmm. And so we use the same thing of anointing the, you know, the different parts of the body. Well, apparently, when they got to his one hand, 
uh, to want to put the oil in there, he mm. pushed it away. And got to the other hand, yeah, he pushed, pushed it. it when I got to his feet, he kicked. <laughs> he kicked him away. And I, I said, wow, I wonder what that's all about. And mm. your mother said, he was quite clear that he was ready to, to go. go. Mm. He did not want any more pleading to for him to get healthy, to get more strength and so on. And she's right. I mean, she, she had the theological, the spiritual uh, sense that that's what he was doing. Uh, and I learned from that because now if someone asks me to come uh, and, and anoint someone for who is dying, I will only do the head. Because then you're saying, you know, I, I'm ready, God, I am ready as I can be. And, and Mrs. Tutu acknowledged that. Crazy. So, I want to go through. It's funny you mentioned John Allen, who, uh, who, who who was running your guys' press at the time. I guess when you were all there together. Yeah. Um, it's John and Father Chris Owens, and you. And I'm leaving somebody out. I feel like. Well, the the PO, the person, the uh, provincial executive officer, was Winston Dungani. But the Archbishop's personal staff mm. uh, was uh, John Allen, the media man, uh, Chris Adams, the uh, religious part of the chaplaincy, mm. religious chaplain, or, yeah. And I was the personal chaplain. It's, uh, and it, it, it was, what's, all, what's all lovely about that, my claim to fame is, ladies and gentlemen, that. I was baptized and he was present, so don't ask me questions. Um, but it's interesting that you mentioned John um, because I, I have a copy of um, the latest book, the last book that I believe they wrote together or that John wrote about the Archbishop, which was uh, The Rebel Rouser for Peace. And uh, Yes, it wasn't, wasn't exactly the first, but yes, it was one. One of the one of the last, I, I would say, and in the yeah. pro in the prologue, uh, you come up, and this is sort of to, I'm guessing this is sort of towards the end of, um, well, not this is this is the kind of the violence is at in, in South Africa is at the point where there really could be a civil war, and yeah. what I'm reading here is. Um, something about the uh well this was in uh, the val uprising and due to wait sharpful six the sharpful six don't know if you know anything about the sharpful six or if you remember anything about the sharpful six yes i do go ahead and it says it's too to waited to see Boerta, the sharpful six Boerta being then the president of south africa uh, pw Correct. Uh, as Tutu waited to see Boerta, the Sharpful Six with 
37 hours away from execution. I can't, I, I don't really know much about the shuffles, but yeah. Uh, the next evening, Thursday, the six could be could expect to uh, expect a treat of a whole deboned chicken for supper. Fellow prisoners would help them through the night by singing African choruses. And we go down, and as at, at some point, the Archbishop is now really pleading uh, to save these people from execution and calls. And this is this is where it gets great. When the news came of the impending executions, Tutu called the ambassadors of Porter's closest allies, Britain, the United States, and Germany, and asked to speak urgently to the heads of government. Margaret Thatcher telephoned him the same day, as did Ronald Reagan's Secretary of State, George Schultz. Both, both assured him that they were urging clemency. The British ambassador, Robert Ren Renwick, carried the message... Renwick? Ren huh? Ren carried a message Renwick. from Thatcher to, to the South African government that afternoon, Reagan made a personal appeal to Boerter and Schultz called PW. Uh, Schultz called the foreign minister R.F. Buck Boerter to under underline its seriousness. Helmut Kohl made a similar appeal on behalf of the twelve governments of the European com Community. And Kohl's foreign policy advisor telephoned Tutu on Wednesday to brief him. This where this is this is where it gets interesting. Tutu and his personal assistant, Matt Esau, went into Porter's office. It was the first time Esau had met Porter, and he was struck by the president's size. Alongside Tutu, who stood only 1.6 meters, 5 feet 4 inches tall, Porter, in Esau's words, a groot fris boer, a big beefy Afrikaner. Esau was also struck by the lightning and Robert uh, Lightning and Robert Lightning. Lighting, sorry, struck by the lighting, and Robert Renwick wrote later that being that being received in Porter's dimly lit study conjured up images of what it must have been like to call on Hitler in his bunker. Porter was accompanied by the Director General of his office, and by one or two cabinet ministers. Talk us, talk, go, go back to that. Talk us through that. Um, that situation of the Sharpeville Six. Well, of course, what John does in his book is remind us as to the actual reason uh, why the Archbishop uh, insisted on, on seeing uh, PW. Mm. Um, the Sharpeville Six was sentenced to death in a trial that used uh, the common purpose legislation. In other words, because someone was murdered and these six people were in the crowd, they were accused of killing that person just simply because they were in close proximity. Uh, and, and the trial uh, it was argued by some of the better um, human rights lawyers in the country mm -hmm. at the time mm -hmm. um, could not convince the court. They, they didn't think that they would because okay. of the climate at the time. The climate was that, uh, you know, P.W. Bhutta had decided that 
they they just clamping down on all this kind of thing and 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 so on. So um, eventually, after trying all sorts of things in in, in asking for clemency uh, for the Shuffle Six, uh, and 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 after pushing the ambassadors and uh, the diplomatic community to put pressure on mm. on P.W. Buerta's uh, government. Um, he then agreed okay. that he would see. Um, and so John and I accompanied uh, Archbishop to to, to uh, Tainais in, in Cape Town. And both of us recall that it was a really an eerie day. It was it was really strange. Okay. Because as we drove from Bishop's Court along the Ball Drive, and then uh, if you go straight down Rowland Street, you go straight into yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the residence, uh, the Cape Town office of the Prime Minister. Um, you know, we'd hardly spoken. We did not speak in the car. We had prepared ourselves, obviously, before that. And we didn't have to prepare ourselves. Mm. Uh, it, it was Desmond Tutu himself who had now rehearsed that whole day he was getting himself ready for this meeting. Uh, and then when we arrived there, they said that only one of us could go in with him. Okay. Uh, to which John said, Matt, you go. Um, and of course, there you can't have discussions. I mean, you, you're damn lucky to cross the threshold. Right. So you can't have still, you can't have meetings. It's right. a hostile situation. And so we go into this room and in this room was the Minister of Justice, the Minister of Police, the Minister of Bantu Affairs. I think there were about three or four ministers. Pretty much anybody they could find, the they room. packed in a room. Well, it was the, the security people. Right, okay, okay. People who were in charge of implementing apartheid. Okay. Uh, and in charge of the army, and in charge of the police, and those sort of um, But Bota might have been there as well. Okay. Um, and so we, we go in, and these guys are standing around, and they try and, and be what you call in Afrikaans, offlock. Okay. Um, you know. And then we get asked to sit down, and uh, PW appears uh, through through the I call it the room dividers. It was in the bloody door. It was like coming out of the wall or something. Mm. Uh, and yes, and I'm struck just at this man's size, and okay. then I realized. Uh, I mean, this guy was the Minister of Defense, you know, 
But what ensued was, I think, five minutes of uh, decent discussion. Hmm. And like the opening remarks and all that kind of stuff. And then the Archbishop gave him the story. I, I think we had written it up, actually. Right. Um, and as, as the Archbishop is going on, I'm getting more and more terrified. Because there's the two of us with six of these heavy built boers, I tell you, men, boer, rechte boer. <laughs> you, you know, I, I can't find any other way of yeah, describing Yeah, no, no, I, yeah, yeah. The big ass uh, men, they're big, big boys. They, 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 they like bloody, uh, you know, cattle farmers, man. Right, right, okay. Not not gentle stuff like vines and that kind of thing. So um then this man responds and he now obviously hasn't got the intellect nor the tongue to match this small little man who's sitting opposite him. Mm. So all he can do is, is literally swear and attack and swart as thee and swart as die and yell as thee and yay as that and so. And then the archbishop responds to him. And I tell you, I thought, we dead. Oh, gosh. This is where we die because the Archbishop just wouldn't hold back. Um, and PW was pointing figures amongst the things that uh, Tutu said to him was, you know, you, you didn't go and fight for this country during the war. Mm. You sided with the Germans. Mm. With Hitler, mm. our people, our parents, they fought on this side. And of course, you didn't have, my son say things like that. That's like really close to the bone. Right. And Puerta uh, comes in. Now, we would normally, no, we wouldn't normally, we would let Tutu go on if he's in that mood and he's really defending himself. Mm. But when he takes a breath, we would say, enough. There's no place for that because PW's people, the ministers sitting there, they, they, they just agreeing with him. Okay. All the rubbish that he speaks, they're agreeing, including He's probably drunk. Uh, probably later drunk, on, so. of course, as uh, turned around, and, uh, he joined the ANC and all that kind of stuff. Loved but, political life, that's why. Yeah, it, it was 
it was an extraordinary thing. But I, and, and we spent a good hour. We spent a good hour. I mean, I don't know what John was doing outside. Calling all because, your family, he's calling all the families. Like, you, hey, listen, we might die yeah, you, today. Hey. You're thinking, you think, you're just wondering what's going on outside there. You, you know. <laughs> so we we come out from there. I don't know whether that meeting uh, did actually get clemency, but I I, I think what happened was. The the six weren't put to death. I, okay. I don't think they were. Yeah, it doesn't uh, really, it doesn't really go into but much, that more that detail. detail. I'm not sure about. Okay, but uh, uh, we then drove back to to Bishop's Court exhausted. Right, uh, must have been close on to seven o'clock the evening or so. And then the next day, yeah, the Archbishop called the the Assassin chapter, all the senior priests are uh, together mm. because he to brief them on what had happened because obviously newspapers was full of it and he wanted them to know. Um, and then he asked me to brief them. He asked uh, the Dean Ted King to chair the meeting and I had to tell them what happened. And of course, I, I gave them all the details. Right. Now, these days, you know, everyone is saying, what a wonderful man Desmond Tutu was. Mm. How lovingly he brought everyone into the fold. How, I just read Christopher Gregorowski's piece on him, he says, he was at a, a, a protest meeting or church service where the one speaker was attacking uh, the prime minister and so on. I know he's talking about Salim Busa. Uh, <laughs> Why doesn't he then, say his name? Exactly. Well, because he, okay. yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, what's called it comes along. Uh, Desmond Tutu comes along. And calls PW, I think at the time, calls him his brother and all like that. No, the veterans, they love that. Yeah. Yeah. As far as we're concerned, if, if your brother wants to behave like a dog yeah. and move with the dogs, like then he must life. stay in the kennel. Yeah. He doesn't come and eat at my table. Yeah. But of course, I mean, God and the church and Christianity, mm. we're all brothers and sisters and so on. Oh, yes. I thought if I read the Old Testament, mm. what the Old Testament says about those wars that's going on there, mm. between who? Mm -hmm. Brothers and sisters. Cousins even. So why would we in South Africa and particularly those of us who were oppressed, badly oppressed, our lives were curtailed. We couldn't go into the professions that we wanted to go into. We couldn't go into the schools that we wanted to go into. Uh, we couldn't marry who we wanted to. Right. You know, right. why we couldn't have friends 
But isn't, isn't uh, that part of the would, magic? Why would we now have to call all these people drug? Anyway, so in that meeting, there were uh, there were some of those who was a very white chapter, I must say. But those guys were saying, yeah, but you know, Desmond shouldn't have done this and he shouldn't have done that. Of course, it was in my place to debate with them, except to say, uh, okay, so where are you in all of this? Mm-hmm. But what I, why I remember uh, Ted King then uh, chairing the meeting, mm-hmm. because he then summed it all up and was, of course, supportive of, of Desmond. And then Desmond said to him, okay, thank you. Will you pray for me? Will you mm. all pray for me? Mm. So Desmond goes down on his knees and they go into a hideout. And they all have got their hands on his head. Mm. And Ted King must now pray. Mm. And he starts off and he says, um, Lord, I'm going to just use a name. Mm. Lord, bless Philip. <laughs> he has in his soul. So just when he finishes the line, mm. Desmond looks up and says, it's Desmond. It's <laughs> <laughs> just things like that, you know. The, the so, I mean, yeah, Exactly. It's the gravity but, uh, of the situation. That, that was an extraordinary, extraordinary thing. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so there's yeah. there's two more things I want to go through with you uh, before we get to the the lighter, funnier stuff. The one is, and we've talked about this before, um, because I read a book by another friend of of ours, or more more your friend. I've forgotten her name, but she wrote a book, and one of the, uh, one of the um, the stories that she's brought into the book is the the death, the murder. It's not death; it was a murder and funeral of Ashley Creel. Yes, and the you know backstory is Ashley Creel was 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 shot in the head after. Was I mean, that Zelda? Zelda? Yeah. Okay. I, I, for, I forget the name of the book, but I read that book and, you know, Ashley was, he was shot in the head. They bombarded the shit out of his house. I mean, they, they, it was basically a war zone what they did to him as far as I can remember. And they dragged him out and they shot him in the head. And well, I'll, t- I'll tell you, I'll tell you what for it. Uh, um, Ashley Ashley was uh, on the run. Okay. Like, like you know, and there were the two others. Like uh, Trevor Manuel were, was on the run. <laughs> yeah, but Trevor Manuel was not part of the military wing. I see. Okay. Okay. Creel uh, uh, and those guys, they're part of the military wing. Uh-huh. Uh, in fact, they were known as the um, 
BMW, I think. They okay. were part of the Bonteville uh-huh. military wing uh-huh. of the uh, of the ANC. Okay. So they were on the run for a long time. And then one night he was taking shelter in Rondebosch East. Okay. Just uh, across the road from George, where George Gibbs used to live. Okay. And um, we we must have been in, I don't know how, it must have been in Rondebosch. Yes, yes, we were in Rondebosch. Opposite the school. Uh, we, we lived then in uh, in the assistant house yeah. uh, at St. Thomas's Rondebosch. And we heard the shooting. And it, it went on and on. It's, it, it was really like war, right. you know. And uh, so I'm not even sure if I said to your mother, I'm, I'm going down there to see it, but I drove out and got down to where the sound was coming from. And we couldn't drive in because the police and the army had cordoned off the area. and. And he resisted, he resisted, he resisted um, throughout the night. And I think it must have been about eight o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. when eventually he must have run out of something. Uh, and one of them went into the house. Who could have rested him, you see, this was the point. And, and shot him in the head. Uh, yeah, and 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 then right. we had the funeral. But you were saying about the funeral. So, uh, you it, the funeral was supposed to take place somewhere, and that didn't that couldn't happen. It ends up taking place in a church that I believe is also in the Pontevo area. Um, <clears throat> and. What happens is it becomes a who's who of the Cape Town activist group, is what I'm going to call it. Trevor Manuels, Cheryl Carolus, and a Klom Annas. Sorry, I've, I've lost sound. Oh, and now? It's okay? It's fine. Right. So I'm saying it was a who's who. The wedding, the funeral was a who's who of what I would call the Cape Town Activist Society. Let's give it a better name. Trevor Manuel, Sheriff Carolus, all people who are banned. Right? And when the apartheid government bans you from political gatherings, you don't show up. My Yella, the Lesmos Annas. And you and the Archbishop decide you're going to go to the funeral. And of course, the funeral turns from being an what it's supposed to be it was it started off in the book that zelda writes it starts off as a very simple solemn ceremony i mean a young man was killed it was very solemn and sad turns into then another speaker gets up and turns into basically a political rally and everybody starts getting amped up and you know funeral is over now and you're on your way out and this is the part of the story I need you to explain. Because you and the Archbishop are on your way out. I don't know if he spoke at the funeral. And uh, somebody 
produces the African National Congress flag, which is also banned. You may not have this flag out in public. The flag and them and the PAC flags and every, basically the, those political organizations are banned. And somebody drapes the flag <laughs> over the coffin and potentially all hell breaks loose. Is that how you recall it? Yes, I do. Uh, what, what in fact happens is a little bit of background. Right. Um, Ashley Creel's uncle mm. um, is still uh, the head of the new apostolic church. That's what it was. There. I think they, they also have titles like bishops now. Right. But at the time, he was the priest in Bondiable. Mm. And they had a, they've got a lovely big church, as all New Apostolic churches are. But, and, and so the idea was that uh, Ashley's mother, who's also New Apostolic, mm. insisted that they go to the New Apostolic Church. Hmm. But the New Apostolic authorities, because, you know, they, the local congregation have to get permission from their bishop okay. to do things. Okay. Um, they then said, no, it's a political funeral. Okay. And so they're not going to be involved in political funeral, respective of whether this is your nephew or whatever. Okay. It then turned out that uh, they, the, <laughs> the comrade, we used to call him, mm. they simply picked up the coffin and walked with it across the road okay. to the Church of the Resurrection in Pontiac. Okay. And uh, I think that was part of the plan because uh, we, we had a fantastic priest in Bondiville at the time. Uh -huh. uh, he was called Doug Halawi. Okay. Now, Doug was a good friend of ours. His sons became good friends of ours and so on. Uh -huh. So, Doug who I think was also a member of the chapter at the time. Excuse me. Mm. He then said to the Archbishop, uh, I'm going to do this thing, mm. and uh, I want you to come. And uh, so, of course, they, uh, we go. Okay. Now, nobody expected it to be a funeral service, the way we, by then, uh, any thought of, of it being a respectable funeral service has gone out the door. So it turns out to be a political rally. But the entire Bontiable was cut off by army and police. The entire Athlo was cut off by army and police. Uh, from people coming from our side where we now live, up the uh, N7 from Malmesbury, those kind of places, uh, 
uh, they were blocked from coming in. So basically the whole of the Cape Peninsula was blocked off. Nobody could come through and buses were turned back and so on. Anyway, at the end of the service, the, the coffin was draped with the ANC flag throughout. Okay. Uh, and so the comrades came out and they carrying a shoulder high and we are immediately behind that. Alan Busak is with us and so on. Uh, in fact, we're in front of them. Okay. okay. Because that's what you normally do. Yeah, if you, you lead the procession. The clergy goes in front and so on. So as we get to the door, um, there is the chief of the police. And, and the, the hearse is now standing outside the door and we want to now obviously go to the hearse and we literally push him out of the way. Okay. Uh, and you can't do much resistance because, you know, he's, he's on our, our property. Right. Church property. So as we turn to uh, put the coffin in the hearse, in the hearse uh, he reaches over. There's that wonderful picture in the archive. I have it. Where he reaches over uh, to grab the flag. Yes. Now, he, he was as stupid as he always was because he could have done that while he was standing on the steps and we in the church. Right. But he realized, had he done that, then it wasn't the flag who was going to go. He was going to go, yeah. So he grabs the flag on the one side. Mm -hmm. And Farid Esak, we used to call him Imam, mm. uh, he's, he's still uh, around, he's, uh, just retired from University of Janusburg or something. Mm. Farid Esak, then pulls the flag on the other side. And so there is, there is then, um, Eddie, can I call you back? So the, um, this fellow uh, pulls on the one side. And of course, when Farid pulls on the one side, does he comrade to Kanista? Now I'm shielding the archbishop to go out of the way of the, the tug and, and the coffin is now underneath all of this. Because in the picture you so can see we're Dr. Going Busak, to the you see Dr. Busak a little bit off the story. Yes. And then yes. I'm guessing you guys are next to him somewhere and they're going crazy yeah, well, in the middle. We, we sort of more where the coffin is trying to get the undertaker to push the coffin into the hearse. Let them do their fight with the flag. I, I tell you, it was chaos. Well, anyway, we managed to get the flag and our body oh, in the car. Oh, and I lead out the procession. Okay. Okay. Uh, 
So I remember we had a gold Cressida. And um, so I say to the undertaker, it's driving in the hearse, I say, you, you just follow us. And we take it at my speed. And the police are saying, no, you're going to move faster, you're going to move faster. So we go all the way down Jake's head, well, now what's called yeah, Jake's Devil Drive. Yeah. Um, and we get to the Maitland Terminal. Yeah. And um, we, when we get there, now all along the route, there's not a car to be seen, only police. Okay. There's not a person to be seen, right. only police. And as we turn to go into the cemetery, the policeman stops us. Uh, and he says, where, where are you going? So I said, is, is there something the matter with you? Where do you think we're going? We're going in here. He says, well, why do you drive so slow? Now, this is the third time I tried this. Okay. Uh, the other two times, he, uh, I just ignored him. Right. So, but now when we get to, they, they're so stupid because by then the deed is done. So when we're about to go into the cemetery, he, he tries this thing. So he tries to pull us off. And he says to the hearse, you go past. And the hearse doesn't go past because He's partly in the way, and he's saying, no, but they must go first. I must follow them. So eventually we get into, into the cemetery, and we lower the, the thing. And we basically said, let's just lower the coffin, fill up, because these guys are going to shoot on us. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. And, of course, then the comrades were ready. I mean, then they started celebrating. Um, and then to Tartal and all that. But that's, uh, that's basically what happened. Because what, I'm, what, I, what I remember you telling me one day is there was actually an interesting little tidbit between you and the chief of police and the archbishop <coughs> as you're all tugging this bloody flag. Yeah. Uh, look, I mean, we... You know, now you try and think we were logical, <laughs> but um, we were caught up in the moment. Right. And here you have the great peacemaker yeah. that you are looking after. Yeah. Um, and, and he is just about keeping his cool. Okay. Okay. Because he is now seeing how a sacred thing is being tampered with. Right. A dead body is a sacred thing. Right. And, and so he's trying to keep his cool. Um, I'm in between of the two. You want to say to the policeman, man, if off, man. You know, what's the matter with <laughs> yeah, you know, but no, no logic prevailed. No logic. Prevailed. It's it's just, it's just a, a, you know, th these stories are are you know because it also goes to show that people forget uh, the archbishop and and your your relationship with him. You two are very interesting.
I, I remember recall a story. I think I was 10 or 12, somewhere around there. And we went to Bishop's Court and he was coming back from the TRC, sort of in this process of him moving out of the house. And he looked like he was worn out by completely just because those if you if you watch the interviews and uh, you watch some of the documentaries that you can find, and I'm sure in the coming weeks and months there'll be documentaries galore and interviews and and what I always looked at was because you two are twenty years apart, yeah, in age, you know, and I always saw you two as as big. He was kind of your biggest. You have a big brother. Um, who's, who's sadly not with us anymore. Um, and I always th thought he, to me, the relationship you two had was one of of brothers that were going through this shit together. And even after you had stopped working for him, and I, I, I want to get to the part where you go off to the priesthood. And I just always felt your relationship was just more than just employer-employee, you know, to me. Uh could you speak on that? Do you do you feel that way, or, or am I, or was I delusional? You know what? I've just realised that I'm going to not make it for even song, but it's fine. It's I'm fine. sorry. It's, I'm sorry, even song. It's okay. It's okay. Um, no, I I think my relationship with him mm. was more of uh, you, you have a colleague, mm. you have a father mm. who is also your boss. Yeah. If one, if, if I took the attitude that he was my boss, I would have done a hopeless job. Okay. Because I would constantly have been in a relationship of, oh, this guy is is my boss. He's, he's going to lay down the law and all that kind of mm. stuff. But because Desmond Tutu was not that kind of person, mm. he was the one person who recognized that we all have gifts. Whatever mm. our gifts are, we have it. Mm. And when he discovered that you had a gift for whatever it was, for people, for uh, interacting with people, for writing, mm. uh, for speaking sense or whatever. He would nurse that. Right. And uh, so my relationship with him uh, was, was that. It, it was that here we were, yeah, maybe two brothers, uh, for, for me, I never thought for a moment, otherwise I would not have been able to do the job, mm. that I'm working with a famous person. Okay. Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. It, it, in a sense, never crossed my mind. Of course we enjoyed the good times. Yeah. Of course we enjoyed being spoiled by all and sundry and <laughs> flying first class and flying the concords and, and all that. Amazing kind of hotels stuff. and things. And, you know? Yeah. 
but at the end of the day, it just remained for me that person who could do no wrong. Yeah. Even when he did. Even even when on on the one I can only think of one occasion where he was totally crazy. Okay. Uh, and then he he had what he calls words with me. So I come back the next day, and Eckers no duck back, <laughs> and. Okay. I greet in a normal way, but I don't, there's no extras. So eventually I had to go into his office. Yeah. And uh, because, you know, stuff has to be done. So he starts, he says, oh, I shouted at you now. And so I said, why? He says, I don't know. <laughs> And when I think back, what had happened, we had come off a month of traveling the world. Okay. When being in each other's company for a month, day and night. And then he gets home. We get home on the Sunday night after doing a couple of things still here in Cape Town. And I take off the Monday, having not taken a day off in a month. Right. And he looks for me on that Monday. He's also supposed to be one. But he looks for me. Uh. And uh, I think he called me or something. Where are you? Where, where, where aren't you here? So I said, oh, man. Or maybe the next day when I came in, he said, where were you yesterday? And I told him, I've taken off. We've been together for a month. He didn't say so. But I think it was just an absolute shock um, of yeah. waking up that morning and damn it, there's no map. Mm. Uh, and and he, he, he then, you know, had it up. It was the only time um, that we had words kind of thing. Mm. But it was short-lived because by... The next day in the evening, we're hunting on. There's a world going on. Now, there are very few people. I can't think of anyone that I have worked with that I have so much absolute respect for. Mm. And dare I say, he had that respect for me. I think he did. That when eventually I decided to go to school, he in fact sent me yeah. because he had sent me to the committees to be interviewed and so on. They wouldn't make a decision until he had seen their report. 
he then said to me, they want you to go to theological school. You must make your decision. Um, and I remember it resulted in us crying, your mother and I crying. Um, I think we cried. We moved to Gramstown. It's not, it's not exactly. And then he said that um, he started talking to your mother. I said, hey, your mother, listen, um, what is it? How can I help? How can I? And, and he started helping, making sure that things were paid and all that kind of stuff. And we had hardly been there six months, I think when he came to visit yeah, and he said, um, of course, in between he had written note, but he said, they say that you should come back to Bishop's Court now that uh, Mandela's released, uh, released the other, and, and maybe you should either work with him or continue to work with me and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you, you must think about it. So I said, no, I've started. I have thought about it. I'm staying here it's, for three years. I, I, I remember, like I always say, I can remember the day Mandela get, got released. I can take you to the spot where I was. Um, but I also remember him. I was thinking about this the other day. I remember him coming to Grahamstown to visit and he thought I probably was the funniest child in the world because because when we left Bishop's Court and I was all of three or four at that time I was crazy about swimming I could just jump in a pool and swim all the time I thought it was the greatest bloody invention in the world <laughs> yeah and we used to swim at Bishop's Court because all the kids were there John Allen's kids were always around Chris Irons' daughters were kind of, we were, you know, if I remember correctly, yeah. we were around. Um, we were just always all together as one big family. And and that was, if if I now think back to, in my own travels, that is the first time I ever felt like, yo, you're leaving something now when you look back at it. And he always said to me, I always would say, I always would say, uh, but father, when you travel, are you going to take the pool with you? And then he he told me this fucking story. I, I could have killed him uh, in the stuff you, you said You said to him, you went to say goodbye to him. Yeah. And you said to him, look after the swimming, the swimming pool. pool. And fast forward about 20 odd years and I'm in London and I'm doing the show. I was, you know, I'd got into the Lion King London and he, we'd found out that he was at the Safitel because you know Arch don't stay at the Holiday Inn, you know, for who, but it, it was part of the elders. I think he was there for so you know Richard Branson, you know, doing his thing, and he invites me to breakfast. I will not tell the story about the breakfast because that no, is, don't. Uh, it's very yeah, disappointing. You, you lost it. It's very disappointing to me, and I'm still very upset about it now. Because now that he's yeah, gone. You were you were fasting for a change and he yeah. wasn't. He was like, is this all you're eating? And I was like, you know, two pieces of bread or you know, a cup of coffee. You know. And he says to me, we're sitting down and, and he's asking me about the show. And, oh, and, and, I, and I said, we, look, we wanted you to come, but you obviously 
are leaving. He was leaving that Sunday night, I think. And he says, but you know, you know, William. And he sits back, you know, when he starts to sit back, he's going to talk crap. He sits back and he says, you know, William, I always looked after the pool. I said, hey, I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, but then it, it's a it's an interesting twist in this whole tale when when we when i had finished having breakfast with him i got and i got five minutes of what it's like the tutu flu i would call it the euphoria around him when people see this guy um because I knew, he, look, to me, he was, yeah, like, he was famous and all of that. But to me, he was, we, we knew him. To, to me, he was just, he was the Archbishop of Cape Town. Like, if I see Tabo Mahova now, I still feel that he's the Archbishop. But there's obviously, I don't know him. Like, I know, uh, Arch, like, I knew Archbishop Desmond or even Archbishop Tungani. I mean, I knew these people. They grew up in my face, in my area. Um, and... He, we, he's going back to his room and his PA at the time who oh, I forget I can't remember who it was um, must have been one of his sons Tunzi Tunzi there we go and Tunzi says to me where are, you, where are you going I can get you a taxi so I said no nah, no it's fine you know Safitel is, is right near uh, uh, um, Leicester Square so I'll, I'll literally I'll walk up I walk up or I'll catch the bus, man. It's okay. Don't worry about me. I'm fine. And the archbishop says, no, let him get you a taxi. Why do you, you're doing a show. You know, and he's fussing now. No fuss, eh? Because obviously, I can't But anyway, and people start seeing us have this conversation, the three of us. And people are saying, hey, Desmond, hey, Tutu. Ah. And I'm like, and he's just like, he's with me, eh? He's with the conversation that he's having. And I was like, and it's only, ha- it's, and with him, he's the only person where it's happened twice. Because when I went on exchange, remember, he was in the town. He went to North Andover for something when I was at Brooks on exchange. Okay. And we saw okay. him. Linda took me to see him. And he thought okay. we were picking him up and taking him somewhere. Is what he thought. Because he called and said, Linda, where the hell are you guys? And Linda said, no, we left. We thought you had shit to do, man. Like, hello. Um, and so that and that day, I because he was hanging on to us because he knew us. And that euphoria thing again. And you just, there's nobody that I've been around. And like you said, the respect thing. But also there's nobody that I've been around who manages it as easily as he does. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, uh, I I can't I can't uh, really describe that whole thing uh, with without people uh, you know getting the wrong impression. Right. You know. Right. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I had this tremendous, tremendous life-changing privilege of working with one of the 15th most well-known people in the world. Yes. Uh, you look at the population of the world. Yeah, yeah. You look for the top 15. Yeah. There you find this man. Yeah. 
Um, but I think if, if we were aware of all of that and, you know, you, you dealt with all of that at the same time as trying to say to organizers, no, we will not do that. Uh, or, or, or saying to waiters in a hotel, you see our table? This yeah. is the table you serve first. And then you go to the head table. <laughs> and they'll all look at you crazy and you call the person in charge, maitre deal, whatever. And you say, do you listen? This is what happens. Why, sir? Because if you serve us last, uh, then by the time we're having our get our meal, uh, that man is ready to go home. We can't right. afford that. We've right. got to eat. Um, if we hadn't done that, if we haven't, hadn't lived like that, hadn't worked out these little nuances and so on, uh -huh. uh, I, I, I don't think I would have stayed. I mean, like some of the guys who had the opportunity to travel with him, they just simply said, I don't know how you did it. This, this man makes crazy demands on us. I said, really? He never made any demands on me. Because he's doing the job. Mm. I just simply facilitate and must make sure that he gets there to do the job. I am not visiting anywhere. I'm not giving the speech at some university. Right. I'm not the one who's sitting in the middle of Brasilia and the entire Brazil press is crowding around him as he's, as he's trying to pray before going to take a service. And Mrs. Tutu has to cover him uh, with something in order just so that he has that moment of silence in this crazy, crazy place with not hundreds, a thousand press people all around him, all trying to get this picture and he can't stop them. Right. Yeah. I'm not a guy who has to do that. All I do is to try and make as if my back is big enough to keep them away right. or to give them dirty looks. Uh, you can't shove them away, you can't push them, uh, you can't use bad language because it's going to reflect on him. Yeah, not he, on also him. Never spoke, he never cussed really. He, he, so yeah. once I had that all sorted out, I, um, I was okay. I was okay. If, I, I remember you guys telling, I remember you telling a story. Was it when you guys went to... Argentina, because he liked to walk. He, he exercised. He liked to walk all the all the time, and which was which was great for you because you like to walk. Um, yeah. And you said that in when you guys were in Argentina, you guys were walking on the beach, and they provided you guys with a security detail. Yeah. And long story short, you walked away from the security detail because they couldn't keep up with you two. They couldn't keep up. Yeah. Um, well, that, that, that's the nice story. We were, <coughs> excuse me, sure. we were in Rio uh, once. Yeah. And um, we, 
uh, we went and now Rio Rio is Rio it's it's the best okay it's the best right and so opposite the hotel obviously is the beach mm. and uh, so we say okay tomorrow morning six o'clock or whatever we're out there yeah, because he prays at three, right? He gets up at three and prays or something. He used to get up, yeah. So, um, six o'clock we meet. And I see Mrs. Tutu is giggling. Uh -huh. And uh, so we go out on the thing. Of course, security and details. And... Uh, I'm walking behind him, and I think John Allen or somebody, maybe Chris Allen is there also. And uh, he, he makes some comment about his shorts. I see. So I said, where do you get that shorts from? Uh. It doesn't fit you. Uh. It's much too short. Oh, no. To which Leia says, that's what I'm giggling about. Because don't look in the front. <laughs> Fortunately, nobody was interested, but I could have had a semi-naked, semi-naked archbishop on the beach of Rio. Well, you know, that knowing Rio, it probably would have been the norm, you know. Well, exactly. Um, but that's it's it's just uh, you know there's there's so much you could go through, um, and I and I don't want to. I know I've now made you miss Evensong. Very sorry about that. Who was taking Evensong this evening? That you know that it was so important for you to be there. Now what we've started doing at St Oswald's is that uh, we have even Evensong every evening. Yes. Thursday. Thursday evening, they've got a requiem mass for the diocese. Oh, okay. And then on Friday, we have evening prayer again. So people in And I'm doing evening prayer on Friday. So people in But I just thought, you know, I want to, so to be there. To, if you want to go to right. St. Oswald's, St. Oswald in, in, is that Milnerton? So I'm just going to little, little yeah, advert for you. Uh, Friday evening, you can catch. The Reverend Matt. Yeah, Friday evening at 6.30. In Milnerton. There you go. The street, I don't know. You have to look up. They can Google uh, it. A leading even song. And it goes on for about 45 minutes. That's just perfect for you because if you start preaching, they might be there for three days. Um, yeah, no. We just read the meditation normally from right. one of the books that Desmond Tutu wrote. Ah. But um, there is something I wanted to sort of end off on, and that was this March for Peace in 88? 89. 89. So this is just before you leave. Okay, this is just before we leave. Um, yes. So, uh, so it, it took place on the 13th of September, 1989. Right. So, uh, and it followed. Actually, that's that's an interview on its own. But I'll, I'll quickly tell you. Um, what, what I wanted it, to, to give you was, what I wanted to ask you first is, 
what John Allen has got here in the book, The Rebel Rouser for Peace, is um, something about election and death toll. And I couldn't quite understand, couldn't quite understand what election he's talking about. Um, yes, yes, there was an election on the 6th of September, I think, if I'm correct, uh, which was the last tricameral, so-called tricameral election okay. uh, in apartheid South Africa. In other words, this was an election where they allowed coloreds to go and vote. Okay. Uh, and... Uh, but not obviously African, I mean, not black they had, to, they had to vote for the national party right um there's nobody else um but there was a lot of protests yeah and on the next day uh i i went out to uh, find out from uh the colleagues we were working with just yeah. how bad it was and I stayed out the whole day as we discovered that quite a number of people were shot and killed. Essa yeah. The human. Well, it's office. Yeah. Uh, that's where I went to. Um, and I don't know what John writes exactly, but I came back at about five o'clock that evening yeah. uh, and found the Archbishop in the corridor at Bishop's Court just about to go into the chapel. Oh. And uh, I, he asked me how things were going, what was happening, and I told him about the mayhem that took place, the number of people. And he just broke down and yeah. cried. Yeah, that's what wept. John writes. That's what John writes. He says, more than 20 people were killed in Cape Town's townships on election day, September 6th, on the evening of Thursday, September 7th. Matt Esau reported to the Tututu that reports were circulating, suggesting a far higher death toll. Tutu broke down weeping, went into his chapel for evening prayers and spent the evening alone and slept badly. Overnight, he came to the conviction that a clarity had not, uh, that with clarity, he had not experienced since writing his letter to John Foster in 1976, that God was telling him to call for another march. On Friday morning, he told Esau that a memorial service for the dead to be held in cathedral in the cathedral at lunchtime. He was going to call for a new protest on Monday. Taken aback, Esau appealed for more time. Tutu insisted on making his appeal that day, but agreed to postpone the march by two days until Wednesday, September 13. Most of the Cape Town's most of Cape Town's communities and church leaders among them, Trevor Manuel and fellow act, uh, activist Cheryl Carolus, heard about the march in the cathedral vestry a few minutes before its public announcement. They, they too were taken aback. The leaders of the Defiance campaign had set aside the week after the election as a time for regrouping. Tutor had a reputation for acting without consult with other leaders and never was it more deserved than on this occasion. He, re he reflects later and talks about um, Cheryl Corona. So now we've got a little bit of background and backstory to to the march. Yes, yes, exactly how it happened. Uh, and and then I also more time we organised over that weekend, and uh, we we then, but we could announce 
that the march would take place on the Tuesday. Okay. And, and that's where everyone who was at that service, including uh, the mayor of the city and all those kind of people, just were cornered. And, and so the result was that they all attended the march and uh, we got the city all opened. Um, and that was the march to end all marches. Because is that because uh, you sent videos? Is that the video where you're standing behind Dr. Busak? Is that from that march? You sent us videos yes. in the family group. All right. Yes, that big, yes, yes. Um, and there's a picture which I will send to you mm. uh, of me, Tutu, Busak, and Sheikh Nazim. Yeah. Uh, holding hands yeah. uh, on that balcony. Okay, cool. Um, and yeah, months later, we we left to uh, okay. for Grahamstown yeah. in December that year. Yeah, and um, or January maybe ninety, and in February. Uh, Mandela was released. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's another chapter we have to write up of the six days uh, between the 7th and the 13th of September. Yeah. And what actually happened and how we got people together. Well, that well, what stuff. we can do. With, but that, yeah. that's another hours. No, no, yeah. Look, uh, I just want <laughs> we'll, to we, get this transcribed anyway, somehow, and put it all in, and then we can go from there. But um, okay. as you, as you, um, as you went to see, uh, I call her Mama 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 Leia. Everybody's got Leia. names for 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 Mrs. Tutu and Leia. And, yeah. Um, she 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 has one of my all-time favorite quips of the Archbishop. Um, if you're not biblically inclined, then you may miss this joke. But it was at his retire well when he was retiring from being the Archbishop of Cape Town. The day I met Tabu and Becky, and I thought he was a little smaller than I anticipated, um, <laughs> uh, you know, came, became the next president. Um, and I was like, oh, you're small, but okay, hi. Um, and I believe it was a point where, you know, it was the end of the day, and I guess they were tired, but she was, she was showing people around the house who had never been to the house, because that's how she was. She, yes. she would she would cook you a meal a mean meal too though yeah. hey the lady could throw it yes and uh, we're all standing in the foyer at the you know bishop's court in this long big garden I always used to walk there by the river and uh, if you could go further I'm sure they've sold some of that land now but if you walked further back you could get to the river where it's you know with all the stones yeah. And he's downstairs underneath a tree. 
and he's saying, okay, I've got one more thing to say to everybody um, before we, you know, basically, I, I, well, I'm kicking you out, is basically what he's saying. So I'm done with you. Yeah. I've had enough. But he's too polite to say that, you know. And she's walking yeah. and says, no, where's my wife? Where's my wife? And she appears on the balcony as he says, where is <laughs> my wife? And she's, he says, uh, my wife, we need to say goodbye to the people. She says, well, I'm busy upstairs here. Can you not see that I'm doing something? And he quips back and says, no, but you, listen, the people need to go. And she says, look, I'm coming, Zacchaeus. And <laughs> You know, because he's under the tree. And if you don't know the story of Zacchaeus, go and look it up. Uh, <laughs> well, her latest, her latest one is really the best. Ah. On the uh, 8th of October, she invited some of us to lunch mm. to celebrate his 90th. Mm. It's a wonderful occasion, only 12 of us there. He was in high spirits and all that kind of stuff. So she makes a speech and she says, uh, he, he first tried to say something. And then she says, she, she just talks. Yeah. And uh, she says, I called these people together yeah. because I know how much you love people. Yeah. So these people are representing all your friends throughout the world oh, and they are the special ones mm. so uh, I thought oh, that's that's just amazing yeah. and then she says and a number of people are saying many happy returns mm. but I think when you get to 90 it can't possibly be many happy returns you you have lived well. Mm. So I just want you to know that when you do go, you tell Peter that you have Leia who's been sleeping next to you for 63 years. Sure. And she can't sleep alone. So please go and get her. Oh. So we're all sitting there saying, my goodness. And then she says, and if I go before you, tough luck. <laughs> <laughs> so when I, when I saw her on Sunday, um, it was Boxing Day actually, yeah. yeah. When I saw her, she, uh, I said to her, yeah, I just hope that your message uh, to, to Peter doesn't get there too soon. Uh. So she says, no, I'm ready to go. Oh. I am tired now. Oh. I didn't think Desmond would make 90. And uh, now he's done his innings. I'm ready to go. Oh. Please, Matt, I'm ready to go. Thank you for all the good times. Oh. What more can you want? Eh? What, more, can what you want? more could you want? What more can you want? Listen, so, uh, in, in a strange way, 
you know, I think she'll she'll see out this week. She she's just that kind of person, and then she's going to prepare herself for the new year. You know, yeah. And that's always so tough about death and dying. The the finality of it. You know, um, but hey, it's it's what Tutu himself has been saying. I mean, I remember him saying to me, uh, you know what, you get your things in order. You get your, your, your funeral service in order, mine is, and, uh, you know, then we love. We've made that decision. Now we love. And he did. I mean, he told that to me in 1987. Mm. You know, when we really thought that the the boys were going to take him out on a driving back from Mozambique, something that I think John Allen also refers to. Yeah. Uh, and he said to me, he, oh, I tell you, we cried that day. He put, set us all down in this place where we're staying in, in uh, Maputo. Uh, and he tells, tells us this thing. And he says to me, you will find my instructions yeah. in the top or on the left-hand side or something. Yeah. Um, so... We cannot underestimate, because we are Christians, uh, what scripture tells us, whether we like it or not. Mm. In the midst of life, we are in death. Mm. And it's it's awkward to talk about it, mm. uh, but... It's reality that we've got to deal with, whether we like it or not, you know. And so we live now, we live our lives. The resurrection of Desmond Tutu is what we make of the values and the principles that he imparted to us in such a simple way, mm. not not just living it, mm. yeah. Not through sermon sermons even. Mm. Uh, just living what he preached. Mm. He is the one person that I know who practiced what he preached. Mm. If he said, "Jesus loves you," and I love you, mm. you know that's what it's about. Mm. You have no other questions. So. Uh, great privilege, wonderful stuff. It's a lot. I mean, it's a long time that we've been together there. We could have uh, we could have talked probably at length more stories and and uh, yeah, you can do you can do a, 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 you can do segments yeah. of one's yeah. life with him. Um, what are you but, gonna on, the, on uh, my last little tidbit or question for you? What what are you going to miss the most about him? I'm not going to miss him. Oh. He is, he's always with me. Mm. 
I'm not going to miss him. Uh, we were prepared in this last 10 years or so yeah. to not see him as often as we did in the past. Mm. And whenever we did see him, it was as if we had never been gone. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to miss him. Yeah. He's... He's deep in, yeah. He's deep in. That's. Yeah. Uh, I I will miss that bloody swimming pool. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Look, I tell you, I I I have missed uh, the the great conversations, the the fun, the laughter. I mean, the last time we had that thing was uh, three years ago now. Uh, just over two years ago when uh, Carl Ware came to visit and we went down to to Amanas to see them and they took us to lunch. Yeah. And and they we spent from, we got there 9.30 in the morning, went to church with them, went to lunch with them. At 3.30, I said to Carl, we got to get to Cape Town. Yeah. Uh, and, oh, you know, just the fun, just the loft, just the reminiscing. Yeah. Um, I suppose that's what one will miss. Mm. But at the same time, when you miss it, you're able to tell that to others. Yeah. You're able to say, hey, you know, this is what we did together. And uh, I, I feel I almost owe it to people to share that with them. Um, just the wonderful, wonderful relationship that was there with no effort, with nothing. Uh, suddenly you get a note out of the blue yeah. uh, saying, oh, I saw your beautiful wife the other day <laughs> while you are gallivanting in winter. That kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, or uh, hello, we're missing you. I mean, yeah. come on, you know. He, so um, he, he paid that, that kind of thing of what I will miss the most, no. Because he had made sure yeah. that whatever he did yeah. behind closed doors would be known in the public. Yeah. There's nothing that he did that everybody didn't know about. Right. Look. Let's be let's be honest within reason, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Um, and there'd been so much written by him himself mm. about his life. So you know, all all we can do is is love our lives mm. and and share with those who didn't know share the gems that we got from him. <laughs> I mean, half the Blumen stories I can't remember anymore. Oh, uh, but to, I know we, we could get that it on TikTok there's some going around. No, he, um, I remember he was, when I had moved here, this is all of, you know, I've been here almost nine years now. Yeah. And uh, for his birthday, on the day that he, it was his birthday, which is the 7th of October. I, I played Simba that day. And I scurled around to get someone to take a picture of me. 
and I sent it to him. And normally he doesn't respond himself. I figured that out after the first couple of emails. So I was like, uh, and he said, oh, look at you, you wonderful creature. It's delight that you bring. And it's not like he's seen me do the show. It just, and it was like he was there. And, yeah. uh, you know, you're right. We, we were so fortunate and so blessed. And, and, and through the relationship you guys had and, I still say, you know, he's still a part of our family. He, you know, yeah. Thank you for taking the time to come and speak to That's us right. on the wonderful network ten twelve. Not like, not like we don't talk often, but we don't get to talk about these kind of things. And I think we should make this a series. Um, no can, problem. We can, thank you so much. No, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to that podcast. I know it was quite long, but I really appreciate you sitting through it. Um, it's true what they say. Um, it's a celebration of a life and a life that we were so fortunate to be a part of and, and to be a part of um, the Tutu family's lives. Um, and of course, all our prayers go out to their family, to his family and the family. Um, it's funny at the end there where I asked my father if he will miss him and it's funny we won't because I I have to agree I'll miss seeing him obviously but his presence is always with me and his presence has always been with us and anybody who had the fortune of touching his hand or sharing a moment or a laugh or a prayer or had the opportunity to hear him speak in service and hear him do any speeches we were so privileged and um, there aren't many like him and there'll never be another one and we have to do our part young people people of the world just treat each other better and and uh, you know we can never be tutus because that's hard and and there's so many more stories my father and I could have gone through, but we we spoke for two hours. Imagine if you know we could have gone on for a lot longer. Um, and I really appreciate you taking the time um, to listen, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you enjoyed hearing these stories. Um, and rest in peace, rest in peace, Archbishop Desmond. Uh, Gone, but not lost.